welcome to Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood. In this episode, you will hear a talk given by Dr. Edward Lee Petsonk, who is a professor of medicine at West Virginia University in Morgantown. Petsonk specializes in pulmonary or lung-related illnesses and critical care. Dr. Petsonk was also a former leader of the NIOSH Black Lung Program. He gave his talk on March 28, 2017 in Whitesburg, Kentucky, addressing the National Black Lung Association, staff of the Respiratory Clinics of Eastern Kentucky, local attorneys, coal miners, and spouses of miners. Later in the program, we will visit WMMT's Benny Becker's award-winning story on the resurgence of black lung disease in the coal fields of Appalachia, which he produced in collaboration with Howard Burkus of NPR for the Ohio Valley Resource. Now, Dr. Edward Lee Petzonk. It's really a privilege and very nice for me to be here, and I am so impressed at how many of you have shown, you know, come out to show your interest and support for this issue. So uh, keep it up, and thanks to the leadership who provide, uh, you know, guidance and, and support for for this organization. And you know, I'm I'm really uh, here. I don't know exactly what you want to hear from me. You know, there's so many things to talk about, but you know, I hope you're all aware that really this area of Eastern Kentucky and associated Virginia is at the center of an epidemic of the worst form of black lung. And you know, if you don't know that, you really should know that because what we're seeing here, as far as we know in the history of the United States, it's never been this bad, okay? That's saying something. And I'll show you, well, I, I won't show you the facts, but I, I believe me, <laughs> Yeah, it's happening. People are getting sick in their 30s. And I don't mean just a little bit sick. I mean they are, their lungs are gone. And this is wrong. Just to start off, dust causes black lung, okay? You don't get black lung if you don't work in dust, okay? I don't care how many cigarettes you smoke. And I do think you shouldn't smoke, believe me. But... You may get cancer and you may get emphysema, but you aren't going to get black lung from smoking, okay? This is all related to too much dust exposure. So I want to get that started right away out there. And no one, don't let anyone tell you anything different, okay? Smoking damages the lungs, there's no question about that. But it doesn't cause the type of mass fibrosis that we're seeing in, in miners in this area. So that's, that's just to start with. The question is, how, do you, how do, can you tell the difference? If you have massive fibrosis, smoking had nothing to do with it. It doesn't cause it, and it doesn't worsen it, okay? So if you have those masses, a minimum of a half inch on your x-ray, you, your dust is what caused it, okay? So that's, that's out, okay? Sometimes you won't see it on the regular x-ray. Sometimes you have to get a CT CAT scan and you'll see the masses. But if you've got those masses in your lungs, that's not smoking that did that, okay? As far as the COPD, the obstruction and the emphysema, that can be caused by smoking and can be caused by dust. So 
the issue is not what is the most important thing, but it is was there an important contribution of either of those, okay? Important. And that's a judgment. The doctor has to make a judgment. But when you say important, if you're a coal company doctor, you might not think it's very important. Now, I'm not joking about that. That it is, you know, where your mind's at. You may be short of breath, but uh, the issue of what is important really depends on where you're, where you're sitting sometimes. And from the number, you can't entirely tell. Just, you know, how severe it is doesn't entirely tell you what the proportion is. But I would say this. If you worked underground, if you worked in this area underground for at least 15 years, you have important contribution from your dust. This is the center of the worst epidemic of black lung in the country. Okay. And if you worked underground in this area, that's important. Okay. This is not some simple agricultural dust where you're plowing and you get dust and that kind of thing. If you work underground or if you were on the surface but you were on a driller or you were a blaster and you were filling holes and stuff like that and you were uh, loading coal or loading boat, dozing rock, you know that when you're on the surface and it hasn't rained in the last hour, there's dust everywhere. So what's important to you as a miner, if you have bad lungs and you worked 15 years in typical coal mining jobs, that's important as far as I'm concerned. So I'm going to talk more about this, but you know what? I can talk about what you're interested in because I've spent my whole life on this issue, but I thought we'd talk about what dust can change the lungs and the heart, by the way, how those changes affect your ability to work, how the doctor evaluates you, and then what do you need to know if you're going for an evaluation? Now, just a few seconds. I grew up in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever been there through it? No. Well, there's coal mining there. My father was an electrician. Of course, the jobs. He worked in prep plants, putting in substations and things like that. And I helped him and so on. So I really got started when I was a kid in this thing. I should have lit the candle for that guy because... He really got me where I am today, and my mother. They're both gone now, but I'll just take a minute to thank them for all they did for me. Oh, I can't forget the next generation either. So some of you may know Sam, my son. He's in Charleston, and he takes black lung cases and really tries to make justice out of them. He's a lawyer, and his wife, Stephanie, is working for West Virginia. That's Zach, my son-in-law, and that's Annie. She's going to deliver our grandchild in about two weeks, and Susan. And they're all people who brought me where I am today. Thank you. So that's my thank yous. And I do want to mention this article that we published just been about four years ago, three and a half years ago now, called New Lessons from an Old Exposure. Sadly... There's still a lot going on and something that we really should know how to fix. And uh, there's still a lot to learn. So I would encourage you, if you have any questions about the science, and there is a lot of science and a lot of new science, 
that you pull this one or have someone uh, get it for you. Dusts are different. There's different types and sizes, and I think it's something that uh, we don't know exactly why, you know, southeastern Kentucky is the worst place, but it has to do with the dust here. And silica is the most toxic dust. That would be sandstone, that would be quartz, that would be rock, that would be middleman and other rock that you have to cut through and roof and floor and stuff like that. Every particle of silica is 20 times more harmful to the lungs than the coal particle. Not to say coal doesn't hurt the lungs. It does. It causes damage. But it, this is worse. Okay? And carbon is important. Uh, there's higher rank coals. There's lower rank coals. And the more carbon, I mean, the anthracite has the highest carbon and the lower coals and you know, lower bituminous and subbituminous and so on. So the carbon is important. One thing that uh, I want to emphasize are silicates. These are not crystalline necessarily. They're just things like slate, uh, stuff that you will encounter, and, you know, the dust will come off, and they are important to your lungs. And we've been doing studies of miners' lungs, and there's a lot of this stuff in there, a lot and it stays in there. The body doesn't help have a good way of clearing it out. So in terms of the miner protecting himself, it's not just the coal, it's not just the silica. There are also slate, uh, clays, and other minerals that once you get them in your lungs, they're gonna cause damage. And I mentioned fibers here, which is something I don't mean to repeat, but this morning I also showed pictures of these things that uh, for some reason, some of the Whole, uh, the, the roof, instead of fragmenting into little particles, it makes long particles, fibers. Now, you've all probably heard of asbestos, which is a fiber, and very toxic to the lungs, very hard on the lungs. But we are beginning to recognize that coal mines have these fibers in them, and they miners get them in their lungs. And they are possibly part of the reason we're seeing so much of this is that th th these fibers are also part of the problem. But uh, the size of the dust is also important. Uh, small particles go deeper into the lungs, cause more damage, and they're harder for your body to get out. Once they get it deep enough, it's really hard for your body to pull it all the way out. And this is probably something you already know, and that is that the more particles in the air, the more likely you are to get sick. The toxicity that I mentioned, it's silica the most, coal, and then these other types of minerals. How long you're exposed, smaller particles get deeper, the breathing rate. If you're working hard, you're just breathing in more air. And once it goes in, it settles in your lungs, you breathe out, it, it's not, some of it's down in the lungs. And the body's reaction and ability to remove the dust. And we don't fully understand all of the things, but other diseases, infections, and so on can reduce the body's ability to clear things out. And certainly, uh, I wasn't joking about tobacco. Don't smoke it because, or miners should not smoke it because it does interfere with your ability to keep your, your lungs clear. And as the tubes get smaller and smaller, that's where the dust tends to settle out. And these are the hair cells I'm trying to show here. 
that line the lung down to this line here, okay? And they're constantly waiting to pull the dust up towards your mouth. And you know if you work for a couple hours, you start coughing out black dust. And that's because of these hair cells. But what you don't cough out is anything that drops down into this area because there are no hair cells down there. Your body can't get them out very quickly. What happens when the dust lands up in this area? You get inflamed airways, mucus, and the swelling of the airways reduces the, the diameter of the tube so the air can't get in and out. And then you get what's called bronchospasm, where you get wheezing and your lungs close up, but that can be treated with medications. But down in the lower areas, we don't really have any way of getting the, the uh, particles out in this area where oxygen and carbon dioxide are exchanged. Once the particles down in there, it's very hard for the body to get it out. And especially silica, which is so toxic that when the, the uh, body's defense cell grabs it, it just kills it. it, it the silica just kills the cell and it, it can't move it, can't get it out. Now, what are the diseases? And one thing I want to emphasize that we emphasized in our, our recent article is, you know, people call it pneumoconiosis, black lung disease, and so on. There are lots of names, but actually there are lots of diseases too because the dust is very varied. For example, big particles will settle in the upper area and cause bronchitis. Smaller particles will go deeper. They may cause what we call mineral dust airway disease. And then all the different things that can happen, silicosis, different types of reactions. So really, black lung is a whole group of diseases that occur from the dust. So what are they? Well, there's fibrotic disease, which is co-workers pneumoconiosis. You've heard of that. Silicosis, when there's a lot of silica, then the pattern is silicosis. There's what's called mixed dust pneumoconiosis. That's just a mixture of dust. And probably most miners get a mixture of dust. You know, It's not a pure dust, so you get a mixed dust. And then there's a new, not new, but a newly uh, recognized dust-related diffuse fibrosis. And that is really a type of mixed dust pneumoconiosis where all these different dusts act together to cause scar tissue in the lungs. But the pattern in the lungs looks different than these other diseases. Then the other thing, you've heard of COPD, that's blocking the movement. And that's an airway disease in the tubes. It doesn't, it's not way, way down. Uh, there's bronchitis in the large airways, emphysema in the smallest air tubes, and then something that I find uh, people don't know about but I think is very important is mineral dust small airways disease, and I'll show you examples of that. And then there are infectious diseases, which fortunately in this country, uh, tuberculosis isn't a big problem. I asked over at the clinic, and they don't see much tuberculosis in minors, so that's good but in other countries that is. But then there's important to know that the heart and lungs circulation can be damaged being exposed to the dust, okay? So the dust can cause heart disease. And if you have heart disease, it may be what we call core pulmonale, core meaning heart, pulmonale lungs, so it's heart disease from lung problems. And that is also well, you can't breathe right when you have it, and it is compensable. 
So it's important to know that just because it's a heart problem doesn't mean it's not dust-related. But most miners get more than one process in their lungs. Most miners can get some bronchitis, some emphysema, different types of, of uh, problems. And that would all be compensable because if it's caused by the dust, it would be a, a black lung or a pneumoconiosis, legal pneumoconiosis. And everybody, if they've been you know, living, they get a few little spots of black in their lungs from, you know, behind the bus or whatever. But it's not a disease. That's just normal life. And now here is a miner who worked 17 years underground. He had an autopsy. And you can see this whole area here is all scar tissue. There's no real lung left in there. That's all black. And that's, you know, bad. And you can see the air tubes are very thick in the walls of the airways. That's bronchitis. And this lung also has these small black spots, which are pneumoconiosis. So he has massive fibrosis, simple pneumoconiosis, and bronchitis. You see how it kind of dips down here? It, it isn't nice and full like on this side. That's because all this scar tissue is just kind of pulling the lung together. This upper lung area is pretty much scar tissue. There's not much there. So your concept is, yeah, there's something missing there, and that is that the lung is shrunken down and scarred up. Our understanding of it is still evolving, but at least in part, but what happens is you can imagine when the lung turns into scar tissue, everything is lost. Those air spaces are lost. The blood vessels are lost, okay? The blood vessels have to be there because that's what picks up the oxygen. They go through the lung. All of that turns into scar tissue and it's just basically tightened up to a so what happens in core pulmonale is the scar tissue in the lungs closes the, the blood vessels. And the heart is supposed to pump the blood up through the lungs, but more and more, just like any, I mean, you close up any pipe, you can't get the liquid through there, and eventually the heart just can't do the job. It just it gives up the ghost, okay? Atrial fibrillation, is one of the first signs of it. And then uh, congestive heart failure as the heart enlarges and uh, eventually it just fails, okay? And it may be that the heart disease is more important in some minors than the lung disease. They could do something from their lungs, but because the blood vessels are all closed up in their lungs, the heart fails. And that's the most important issue that they have. It doesn't have to be. The heart can fail and not be enlarged. Uh, a large heart is not at all inconsistent, especially on the right side where it's pushing the blood up into the lungs. This is a very early coal miner, maybe worked five, ten years, and this is what his, looks, his lungs look like, and not too much dust. But you can see these are the air tubes. Can you see these three? And around them there's a kind of a, like a ring of black, and then there's this area here where the body has tried to get the dust away from the airway, and it just sort of stores it over here. That's going to go into scar tissue, but it hasn't quite yet here. But you can see there's emphysema around. You see these open spaces? Normal air cells look like this. They're tiny, small sacs where the blood vessels 
are very close to the air. In this area, there's no, no sacs at all. That's emphysema, and that's very common early in dust-related lung disease. Well, this wouldn't be even evidence on an x-ray. This would be just the minor feels like he's having some trouble. But everything else might look normal, but it's an early change. That's the earliest change. Now, over on this side, we have more. This thing now is scar tissue. See the center, pinkish center there? That's just pure scar tissue. And you can see there's no, there's no real lung tissue around. It should look like these little air cells here, but it's all taken up by this scar and inflammation. Now, this is what silicosis looks like. When you get a lot of silica, like say you're a root boulder or something like that, and you're breathing a lot of rock dust, then you're going to see this in the lungs. And again, this should be all air cells, but you don't see any real air cells in this area. This is all scar tissue, but it looks different. First of all, it doesn't have any black in it. It's all kind of lightish. And secondly, it has what we call onion skinning, which is, this looks like an onion cut down like that. And that's from the scar tissue that the silica makes. And this is the last one that is increasingly being recognized as another pattern which is due to a mixed dust. And you can see this is where there are bands of scar tissue that uh, are caused by dust. You can see it's just filled with dust here, all the black, but it's not the nodules. And this is one thing that a lot of the coal company doctors say, well, if it's not nodular, it's not from coal. Well, that's not true. The dust can cause what we call linear scars or irregular scars. It doesn't, it's not as common but it's in the minority. Maybe 40% of miners will have this type, common type of scars, and the nodule ones will be 60% of miners. But that's not, many miners get this. So the business that, oh, well, if it's linear scarring, it's not from coal mining. No, that's not true. It's an argument that you'll hear a lot of times from the, from the doctors who are employed by the, the operators. But from the point of view of, from the medical side, sometimes you'll have a report from a company-oriented doctor who will say something like, well, it can't be black lung because the type of scar tissue is, diff is wrong. They can't tell that. If they say it, we can prove they're wrong because there's plenty of miners with this same type of scar tissue. So I just want you to know those things because when you go for your benefits, if you don't know this, you might just throw up your hands, oh, well, I guess they must be right. Well, no. But there's something else, and this is something I'm working on, and this is something that you all probably have heard about. There are miners who don't have much on their x-ray, like these little lesions will not be visible on a chest x-ray, and maybe not even on a CAT scan. They don't have much in the way of impairment shown on their breathing tests. Their breathing tests look either normal or very mildly abnormal but they're really short of breath. Now, in the past, I've heard the word compensationitis, okay? Have you heard that term? It infuriated me because I don't really think it's a very common problem. But we have to have a reason for why these miners are short of breath. My current research and my what we have looked at to date suggests that this small airway lesion that I showed you earlier where the dust gathers around these little airways, it's not visible on an x-ray. And because there are many, many small airways 
It doesn't show on the breathing test, but it does make you short of breath. See, here's the airway, and look how much dust there is around it and how much inflammation. That airway can't work normally. Now, here is the very same view, except there's the airway. This showing all the particles of silica and silicates that are in that inflammation. And I was pointing out how some of these look like fibers rather than just little specks. They're long, and they may act like asbestos. And this is a massive fibrosis lesion. There's almost no recognizable lung tissue there. The lung is dead and it's scar tissue. This is a recent article that we published just a couple months ago where we looked at the lungs of coal miners who either died and had an autopsy or had a lung transplant because their lungs were shot and they tried to do that, or their doctors thought they must have had cancer because they were too young to have black lung, so they biopsied it, and then the, and we looked at the biopsy. And it, it's useful because this is real lung tissue from miners. This is, you know, not theory. It basically, uh, what, we, what we found in the lungs was that there was a lot of respirable silica and silicates. That is the dust that was above the coal, the middleman and the floor and stuff like that, that when that is mined, it's very, it stays in the lungs and it causes a lot of damage. So I want to talk about, those are the diseases. Now, what happens when you have a disease in your lungs to your ability to work? When you work, you breathe air in, that's your oxygen, into your lungs, and carbon dioxide out. But that doesn't do you any good till your heart pumps that blood out to your muscles. So the lungs have to breathe in and out, the heart has to pump normally, and the muscles really have to do the work. They're out there doing the work. And then once the oxygen is used up in the muscle, then carbon dioxide is pumped back by the blood and the heart into the lungs and breathed out. All of these systems have to work normally for you to breathe normally and do what you need to do. So if there's a problem in your lungs, a problem in your heart, or a problem in your muscles, you cannot be able to work. And one of the big things that people don't keep in mind, which I think is important, is that your lungs take in the oxygen and remove the carbon dioxide, but they won't work unless your muscles are pumping the air in and out. When you breathe in, it's your muscles that are pumping the air. And if those muscles are doing more work than they can do, you will not be able to sustain it. You know how if you pick up a load, the first time you can pick it up, the second time is a little harder, and the third time you really can't get that load up. Well, if your lungs are so damaged that the muscles have to work overtime, eventually they fail. They, you cannot ask them to keep pumping air in and out of your lungs. So I think a lot of times the problem with people being short of breath is not that their lungs are so destroyed but they're so inefficient and the muscles are working so hard to get the air in and out that they just can't do the work. So it's really a muscle issue. When you think about being short of breath, you have to think about all of those things. So I wanna to go to the black lung disability evaluations. So you have to 
know that if you're totally disabled from doing your last coal mine employment, and it has to be in a significant part due to the dust exposure on the job. And that's where the judgment comes in, is what is significant. In other words, somebody may say, well, that wasn't significant, whereas somebody else may say it was. So what you have to do in an evaluation is show the impairment. That is, your, your body is not working well enough to let you do the job that you did your last job. So you have your exposures. We talked about them. We talked about the diseases. And then you have to evaluate the impact of these various diseases on your ability to work. These are the components, symptoms, examination. Very little on the exam. The doctor may listen to your lungs and so on. May hear some wheezing and, and so on. But there's nothing much on the examination that really helps determine disability. Changes on the x-ray are important. CAT scan, pulmonary function testing. And then I would emphasize heart and lung function on exertion. And how many of you have done an exercise test for, for this? See, that is probably the most important thing for you. Because if any part of your system isn't working, the heart isn't working, the muscles aren't working, the lungs are not working, when you go on a stress test and you really push yourself, any one of those can be the weak link. But if you just test the lungs, oh, they look okay. You know what I'm saying? You can just test any individual piece of it. It might not show it, but when you put it all together and do your stress test, if there's a weak link, it's going to show up. And that, that's why I would encourage anyone who is going to try to go for a uh, you know, black lung evaluation to go right to the end and get that exercise stress test. Overall, in terms of the best way to demonstrate a problem with dust causing your impairment is to go to the exercise study right now. And what we look at there is the, you know, the amount of oxygen you can get, deliver, the amount of carbon dioxide that you can breathe out. The thing about work of breathing is we don't have a measure of the work of breathing right now. But we can see if the body's inefficient. In, in other words, what I would say is if you're breathing twice as much as an average person has to breathe just to do that work, then your lungs are not working well. You see what I'm getting at? You may get enough oxygen. You may get rid of your carbon dioxide. But you're having to work way too much to do that because of the damage. I, I talked this morning about another test, which we're trying to work on. Right now, aside from the stress test, exercise stress test, there really isn't a good way of demonstrating the total damage that the dust has done. We're looking at a research approach where we may be able to come up with a simple test that anyone can do that will demonstrate the damage, particularly in those small airways that just doesn't show up on the other tests. I don't want to be too negative on anybody, but I, I've, I said this this morning, I'll say it this afternoon. I love lawyers, especially our friends. But the company lawyers say fight everything. You know, that's their approach. They're going to fight everybody right to the very bitter end because that's what they're paid to do and 
That's what they consider to be their most ethical way of dealing with it. So they're going to fight you right to the end. Now, if you don't qualify before the stress test, they don't want you to do the stress test because you might qualify. You see what I'm getting at. And the other thing is that if I were a lawyer working for a co-operator, I would want to find a doctor whose judgment was that smoking is the big problem and dust is not. There are some patterns that are absolutely separate, okay? So if you have silicosis, if you have massive fibrosis, then that's what you have. There's no smoking does not cause or worsen those illnesses. On the other hand, if you have just COPD, smoking can cause either of them. And there's no signature way of saying it. Some, sometimes they say, well, certain patterns of COPD are only caused by smoking and others only caused by dust. But there's no scientific basis for saying that. And as a, as a miner, if you try to hide that, they're not going to, they're going to blow you out of the water because you're hiding something. So you, you just be honest, okay? You be as honest as you can. But you also have to understand that you need to kind of get into this and know what's best for you. Telling the truth about your smoking history is the best thing you can do. If you don't, they're going to find something and just get, throw, get it thrown out. But the point is, if you've worked for years underground or dusty jobs, coal uh, operation, you have a justification for saying, I think the dust affected me, okay? So what you need to do is understand that, go through the evaluation as best you can, do the best you can, and then you have to find a lawyer and a doctor who is not compromised by their prior positions or what they're rewarded to do. There are readers who have compromised their scientific accuracy by reading one way or the other. There are some readers who see black on everything, and there are some that never saw it ever. So you really want honesty. You want the best you can get. And I think if you work with a counselor, like at the clinic, or you work with a lawyer, what you just tell them, look, I want, I want the best reading, most honest, accurate reading I can get. Lung x-rays and CT scans are good ways of determining if there is inflammation and fibrosis in the lungs, but they're not 100%. So if your lung x-ray is normal, you can still have black lung. And some doctors just say that's not the case, but it is well documented in the science. So that if you have a doctor who says that, then they're just not up to date on what the science is. If you have progressive massive fibrosis, that is these masses on the x-ray or CT that are bigger than one centimeter, then you have a presumption that that's black lung. And it is virtually always true. So they don't make you show anything else. You don't have to have any particular level of impairment. That's very, it's a bad thing to have, but if you have it, know it, okay? You don't want it, certainly no one wants it. But if you do have it, 
and you want to try to file for benefits, it's really important that you document. And as I mentioned, that lung biopsy or CT scans can show massive fibrosis in some minors that have basically no evidence of it on the regular x-ray. Pulmonary function testing, again, uh, when you do the breathing test, do the best you can. Uh, if you don't, it'll be clear. And the doctor will look at it and say, well, this isn't a maximal effort, and you've defeated yourself. If you just take in as deep a breath as you can, blow it out as hard and as long as you can, that's all you can do on that test. And, you know, I would encourage you to do it because otherwise the evidence that you're providing won't be, won't be useful to you. So uh, I mentioned quality is very important. The doctors will look at the quality of the test. And if you don't provide a, a maximal effort, it'll be clear on the test. The only thing that I point out in this bottom line here is that you can have normal or near normal breathing tests with small airways disease. And we believe that that can cause uh, impairment and disability in the ability to, to do your job. But that right now, we don't have a reliable way of determining that aside from just getting on the treadmill, doing as much as you can, and showing that your lungs are very inefficient. Blood gas tests during exercise are important because sometimes your gas studies will be normal at rest, but when you are up exercising, they will get very abnormal. Probably the most important thing here is to make sure that the blood gas is done immediately while you're exercising and not more than 10 seconds afterwards because uh, Dr. Rasmussen, and we should really have lit a candle for him, was very uh, in, important in showing that the blood gases can go back to normal within 10 to 15 seconds after you get off the treadmill. So if you have a severe impairment but you wait that long, it won't show up. The last thing that I, I want to mention here is core pulmonale. That is, if you have heart disease that is secondary to your lungs, that alone, as I understand it, can be a basis for, for black lung disability. So if you can show that, and echo tests, electrocardiograms, scans of the heart, and so on, are useful in showing that. I think I've mentioned this. Our new studies show that mineral dust and small airways can make the lungs so inefficient that a minor really is disabled. You know, are there susceptibility issues? To my knowledge, and there's been a review of the issue of can we identify people who are susceptible to black lung? There is no test that can determine that right now. You know, as far as I am aware, we do not understand susceptibility issues. Uh, there's no consistent information that would be useful in determining whether one miner is going to get it and another isn't. We do know that the more dust you breathe in, the more toxic that dust, you're going to get higher and higher rates of black lung. You know, back in the early days, about half of miners who worked more than 30, 40 years would get black lung. So if there are susceptible ones, it's, it's you know, 50%. And uh, so I, I just don't think we have any way of really uh, helping on that score. The best way to prevent black lung is not to get susceptible miners out of the mines, 
It's to get the toxic dust out of the mines. So my summary is seek good advice. Go to people whom you trust and who know this area and are, are going to give you the best evaluation, the current science. Go to a facility that other miners have said are doing a good job. If PMF is present, you need to get the readings to show that it's present. Sometimes a CAT scan will be helpful when the, the plain x-ray doesn't show it. Give your best effort and then the exercise testing, as I said before. That was Dr. Edward Lee Petzonk, specialist in pulmonary medicine and professor at West Virginia University. Our piece was produced by Benny Becker, the WMMT and Ohio Valley Resource Reporter in Whitesburg, Kentucky. Benny and the Resource have been working with NPR to investigate black lung in the central Appalachian coal fields. New data shows there's been a dramatic increase in the number of coal miners diagnosed with the worst form of black lung. The story begins in Pike County, Kentucky, where Dr. James Brandon Crum will introduce us to a miner who is fighting for breath. So this is what an x-ray of, of you and I or a normal person should look like. And you contrast that to the individual which we'll be talking to today, and you can see the significant difference. There's these large conglomerate masses consistent with complicated black lung. And this individual's 38 years old. My name's Mackie Branham Jr. And I've got right at 19 years underground. I come straight out of school, turned down full scholarship to go to college because I knowed I'd go straight in and make good money because I wanted to start my own family. The more I talk, the more I get out of breath. And it's like me trying to blow up like a new balloon. It's just a lot of pressure. I can no longer provide for my family, and I can't do nothing around the house like I normally would. It tires your nerves up. I'm Amber Branham. I'm married to Mackie Branham Jr. I am a waitress at Golden Ring Diner and a mother of five. It's just a hard thing to watch because I've seen a strong man go from being so strong to work six, seven days a week, all the hours they want, down to having to be home 24-7 because he can't stay in the weather outside. I'm Mac Branham. Um, yes, sir. Times when I was younger, I'd forget what he looked like because he was always at work. I was what they called a company man. I did what they wanted. I worked 70 some days straight without a, a day off. 15, 16 hours a day because we was making a big move. Many a nights did he not come home for two days. He would lay over there, take a shower, and go back in for the next shift if they didn't have somebody over there. And they know that. That's the thing that makes me mad and upset about it. He worked himself to the bone for them. And now when the favorites should be repaid back, they fight him tooth and nail. 
they have the money and the lawyers to prolong it as long as they want to to keep us from getting his benefits, keep from having to pay that comp and black lung out. A lot of people don't know what it's like to have your babies sitting there and you can't even hardly put food on your table because it takes so many doctors and so many judges to just tell somebody that they're in bad enough need to have help. Can't draw unemployment, can't draw disability, fighting for that black lung with everything he has in him. 10 months we've been fighting for it. Still not a dime from unemployment, social security, or black lung so far that everyone fight us. They're just trying to do what's best for the company, but they need to think more about the families. I'm hoping that Alpha and them have a heart. Let him draw out what he is owed. I can't provide for nobody no more. That takes my manhood away. It doesn't take your manhood away. This family, if, as you see, the kids respect well, takes, every bit of him. My pride away, all right? He's not the only coal miner that feels that way. There is hundreds of men out there that think that. That, oh, I can't provide, so I'm worthless. They're not worthless because their family loves them, and they want them to be here as long as they can have them here. But in their eyes, they get depressed because they can't do what they've always done. Mine's a little bit different than that. It's knowing I'm not going to get better without the transplants. And it's not knowing how I'm going to be if I don't get them. I'm sure there's hundreds of men out there like him. Because he's not the only one that had that put in his lungs. So I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds of men out there that are in the same shape he is, fighting for their benefits. We'll be lucky if he sees it. My name is Evan Smith. I'm an attorney at Appalachian Citizens Law Center here in Whitesburg, Kentucky. We're having a lot more severe black lung than even our worst nightmares. What the doctors say is that there's multiple factors going on here. We have people who are working longer hours, being exposed to more dust and mining seams of coal that are thinner. And so you're bringing a lot more sandstone and other rocks. All the black lung coming out. I see a lot of them, they can't find jobs. What else are they going to do? They're going to try to sign up on their black lung. And then that puts people, I say it like me, that was pulled because of the black lung. So far down on the list, it hurts me. But I can't blame them. They're doing what they got to do to provide for their family also. When he was younger, it was either be a coal miner or leave home. And we don't even have that choice anymore, so it's leave home. All the coal mining jobs is gone. That coal miner has nothing else to go for, but to sign up on their black lung if they've got it. I make in a week what he made in two days. And here it is Christmas, and it's hard to be able to tell them like, hey, mommy and bub will do what we can, Santa will bring what he can, and if not, then we'll do our best when we can. You could probably go to 15 houses up the creek and you'll hear the same story, whether it be black lung or whether it just been plain straight laid off. Everyone of Elkhorn Creek has been affected by it. 
the stress that that puts on the entire extended family, on the church community, on just really our entire region, it's really scary. And, you know, when we talk about the legacy cost of the industry and the problems that we're going to have as our economy transitions, those individual household economics are just a huge piece of it. Now, our nation has made the choice that we're going to try to move away from coal. But the people who dug the coal already, we can't move away from them. If I had it to do over, I would do it again. If that's what it took to provide for my family as long as I have. The Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. I've been your host, Kelly Haywood. You may download this episode as a podcast or listen online at www.wmmt.org. And to all of you out there in Radio Land, thanks for listening. After weeks of closed-door meetings, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky revealed GOP-drafted legislation to repeal Obamacare. Republicans claim the plan will stabilize insurance markets, remove mandates, and provide flexibility for states. But Janelle George with the National Women's Law Center disagrees. She argues the plan drastically cuts Medicaid, defunds women's health centers, and denies abortion coverage to those who get their insurance through the health exchanges or who receive tax subsidies. By devastating the Medicaid program, taking away the ability of folks to access services at Planned Parenthood, making the essential health benefits optional. It would put affordable health care out of reach for many individuals and families. George adds that millions of Medicaid enrollees would not be able to access critical services, including birth control, cancer screenings, and testing and treatment for sexually transmitted diseases. Medicaid currently covers about half of all births and accounts for three-quarters of all public dollars spent on family planning. Adam Sonfield with the Guttmacher Institute says family planning services are critical for long-term health by helping women plan for children and avoid unintended pregnancies. We know that's important from a health point of view because pregnancy spacing helps to avoid preterm and low birth weight births. It helps people to prepare for their pregnancies so they, they can become healthy before they get pregnant and to get chronic conditions under control. George notes she's also concerned because the bill allows what are known as 1332 waivers, under which states can make changes to the essential health benefits insurers now must cover. 
including maternity services and preventive services. Not only is this bill stripping that away for folks who are covered under Medicaid expansion, but under the 1332 waivers, we could see other folks have their health care impacted as well. On the private insurance side, Sonfield adds there would be massive cuts to subsidies that make coverage affordable for some people who have to buy insurance on their own rather than through an employer in ways that will make it a lot harder for particularly lower-income people to be able to afford to buy that coverage and then to be able to afford to use that coverage because they'll have plans that include really high deductibles and really high co-payments. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul has been an outspoken opponent of the bill, although his view is that it doesn't go far enough to cut federal health care spending. It could be voted on this week. This is Mary Sherman, Kentucky News Connection. Nurse midwives have delivered babies in the Ohio Valley for nearly a century. But reporter Mary Meehan explains that traditional practice is getting a new push with the opening of a clinic at the University of Kentucky. That new furniture smell lingers in the clinic bathed in earth tones, but the waiting room is already full. Nurse midwife Joanne Burris walks briskly, her sensible clogs a counterpoint to the smooth jazz filling the air. Inside exam room three, Emily and Jonathan Robertson wait to hear the heartbeat of their unborn baby. That's part of the appointment. Yeah. Every time. Hyden, Kentucky, home of the Frontier Nursing Service, was the start of the American nurse midwife in the 1920s. Now transformed into the Frontier Nursing University, it educates 30% of America's midwives. Still, dad-to-be Jonathan needed some convincing at first. But now he says... We look at it as something that's natural. We don't look at it as a medical problem. Something that's natural. Nearly a century ago, frontier nurses famously visited patients on horseback. Today, 97% of midwives are affiliated with hospitals, and overall they deliver 12% of the nation's vaginal births. Emily says it's the personal attention that matters. When I call, they listen to every little concern I have, even if it's just like a weird pain. You know, they'll be like, it's okay, this is normal, or hey, this is not normal, you know, you need to come in. Joanne Burris understands why women want something different. My first birth uh, was a natural birth. I felt uh, very disempowered. I felt really it was fairly traumatic for me. With the second birth, I wanted a new experience. Burris was so inspired by her own second birth experience, she quit a job she loved and went back to school. She's been a midwife for seven months. When I felt the calling to become a nurse midwife, I felt like I was being obedient to my higher power, who I call God, and I uh, feel like that has been confirmed over and over again. And sometimes I find myself having to blink back tears in a birth because I realize this is why I was supposed to be here. It makes me cry now. <laughs> it's a privilege. It's very much an honor to be able to hold space for a woman while she becomes a mother. A space more women seek as a traditional practice gets new life. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Mary Meehan in Lexington, Kentucky. The Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. One of the big issues in the current health care debate is what will happen to Medicaid support for substance abuse treatment. Some in West Virginia say they're afraid losing it could kill them. Bailey Hendricks is a single mother from St. Albans and a recovering opioid addict. She credits substance abuse treatment with saving her life. 
and Hendricks says if Medicaid no longer covered the treatment, it would likely be a death sentence for many. Nobody knows what's going to happen to all of us. We're all going to be turned out into the street. Most of us are probably going to die. I don't understand why it's even a thought that they would take it away from us. Substance abuse treatment was added in the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act. That expansion would be rolled back over time in the bill to repeal the ACA, now being debated in the Senate. Senator Shelley Moore Capito says she intends to defend funding for substance abuse treatment, but has not said how she plans to vote on the legislation. In the House bill, known as the American Health Care Act, Medicaid funding would be slashed by one quarter over 10 years. The Senate bill takes longer to do it, but uses a formula most expect would actually result in deeper cuts. Unless a specific provision for substance abuse treatment is added, it's likely that those cuts would force states to end Medicaid support for Suboxone clinics like the one Bailey goes to. The Suboxone program saved my life. And if they take this part of the health care out and I lose my treatment, there is a big uncertainty in my future. Bailey says most people have no idea how hard it is to break an addiction. She says the difference between how she was before treatment and now is like night and day. Sitting in jail and having my three-month-old at home was devastating for me. And it has completely changed my life. I have my vehicle my own health. I have a lot of responsibility at work. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he wants to pass the repeal and replace legislation by the end of the month. Capito is one of the key votes he would need to do that. For the West Virginia News Service, I'm Dan Hyman.